The Missouri legislature wraps up its most unusual session in decades. What happened and what didn't happen? We're joined by the STARS Jefferson City correspondent to talk about all of this. My name is Dave Helling. You are on Deep Background. And greetings, everyone. You're on Deep Background for May 20th, 2020. I guess that's 2020. It's <laughs> a little humor here to start the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dave Helling with the Kansas City Stars Editorial Board. As always, my friend and colleague Derek Donovan is with us as well. And joining us from Columbia or Jefferson City? Crystal, where are you now? Jeff, today, today I'm in Columbia. All right. In Columbia, Missouri, just north of the state capitol, the Stars Jefferson City correspondent, Crystal Thomas, joining us for the podcast. Great to have you, Crystal. And of course, we asked you to come on because the Missouri legislature last Friday called it quits after what must have been the strangest session in memory for most of the legislators and certainly for reporters. Before we get into some of the specifics, how strange was it this year? It was so strange, Dave. Um, if you'd go, if you called me last week, I would have told you I was in Jefferson City, but I would have been maybe one of a few people that were there. Uh, obviously, all the lawmakers were there, but even though the building was open, uh, the Capitol building was open while the legislators were in session, there were very, very few people there, and that's because they were, you know. They're afraid of catching COVID, um, which I don't blame them. Yeah. Let's go back and just look at the calendar a little bit. The the legislature was cruising along, doing its thing in uh, mid-March, and then the coronavirus scare hit. Uh, they did a couple of quick things and then scattered for, what, a month? Crystal, take us through that, and then decided to come back. Take us through that thought process. Well, so the beginning of the session and the end of the session, the expectations were completely different. So if you look at the beginning of the session, you see the governor talking about, you know, how great our economy is doing, how he wants to work on uh, workforce development and economic incentives and, you know, really help businesses move to the state, um, as well as uh, prepare um Missouri residents to uh, get those jobs and become skilled. Uh, so that was where the emphasis was. And then you see Corona happens. The legislature takes six weeks off because um, there is uncertainty of what it means and, and you know, what the spread will look like. Um, they do come back in briefly to uh, pass um, bills that will help distribute the federal funding. Um, and then uh, shortly before the May 15th uh, deadline to adjourn, they come back in for about two and a half weeks um, to talk about legislation. Yeah. Now, do we get a sense that that six weeks where everybody went home they literally went home, didn't they, Crystal? I mean, there wasn't a sense that people were still coming to work and meeting informally. They might have been talking on the phone, obviously, but the idea that any business was really being transacted is not right, that they literally shut things down for that six-week six, six week period. 
I, I would say that there was a lot of discussion among, um, uh, but people on the budget committees, because there has been a lot of concern about what the state budget would look like. And it, it really is the only um, duty that lawmakers are constitutionally required to do. So there was a lot of discussion there. Um, and there were a, a couple of meetings, but, um, you know, among the key legislators. But yes, in terms of just everyday lawmaking, there were very few people in the building. Um, and, and, and of course, the panic that, that, you know, revenues are collapsing, the state is shut down. I mean, there were, you know, the governor was still in Jefferson City. And so the work of government went on, even though the legislative component had to take a hiatus for a while. Yes. And it, it's a completely it's a completely different world. Right. So when the governor uh, called a state of emergency, what that did is it allowed him also to suspend a lot of rules and a lot of laws. And so there was a lot of things happening on the executive set level um, within the parking administration. But when it came to lawmakers, we're actually making laws um, that slowed down significantly. Right. So then after that six weeks discussion period came, uh, the legislature said, okay, we need to get to back for a, uh, get back together for a couple of weeks to pass a budget, which the Constitution requires, even though I think we all, and we'll get back to this, but I think we all understand uh, they're going to have to revisit that budget fairly quickly. In fact, I think the governor in the next couple of days is going to announce some changes. Um, so they needed to pass a budget, and then there were other hijinks, <laughs> broadly speaking, that ensued. Take us through that then. There was the idea that they just come. Some people were saying, let's just go in and pass a budget and get back out of town. Mm -hmm. But the leadership did not seem content with that. Take us through that. Well, so th this is, you know, these questions have been asked of uh, the lawmakers several times. And a lot of the Democrats definitely felt like, you know, we should gavel in, pass the budget, gavel out. Um, because there is a strong concern for the people who are in the building, staff, and lawmakers themselves about their exposure to COVID. And then there's also the idea that the public is really concerned about the pandemic and that COVID is all-encompassing in their lives. And so when that is happening and we're not protecting the public, lawmakers shouldn't be discussing other things. Okay, Crystal. So take us through the thought processes of the legislature when they came back. I mean, I, obviously COVID was at the top of everyone's mind. There was some suggestion, let's just pass a budget and go home. But there were other people who said, no, we've got two weeks to cram everything in. And we saw some of the most amazing omnis, omnibus bills I think I've ever seen. Uh, with everything sort of dumped into one or two vehicles, that was must have been a, a nightmare for everyone, including reporters, of course, but legislators too, trying to keep track of what was going on. Dave, I, I couldn't catch my breath. There was that much legislation um, being flung left and right. Uh, so you're correct. There are there were a lot of Democrats that were saying, you know, let's just pass a budget, go home. 
And it's inappropriate to legislate about issues that are unrelated to the pandemic when this is at the forefront of the public's mind. Um, or it's inappropriate to discuss topics that won't help um, Missourians during the pandemic, because obviously this is going to be one of the biggest recessions we see. Um, a lot of people are on unemployment. There's a lot of issues with schools, um, childcare. It, it touches a lot of um, facets of people's lives. Plus, plus the plus the normal legislative process breaks down. I mean, um, hearings get weird, and amendments come from nowhere, and there's no real public discussion of a lot of things. I mean, that happened in the last two weeks, right? That suddenly out of nowhere, here come amendments that no one has had a chance to really openly discuss at length. Um, that did happen. I will say that that happens every legislative session, just maybe not on this magnitude um, and not at a pace um, at the same pace, as well as with uh, so few people in the building. So a lot of times when uh, legislation is maybe snuck under the radar, um, you'll have lobbyists in the building, you'll have advocates in the building um, who are following all of the legislation and all of the conversations surrounding the legislation. So, um, you know, even if it's the second to last day of legislative session, someone knows what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, there are just so many lawmakers that can't be experts on every single issue. So they have to really rely and trust on the other lawmakers to tell them, hey, this is what it does. This is what we're saying it does. And so therefore, you should vote for it. Yeah. But, let, let, but let's be fair, you know, just to be fair, because, hey, we're deep background. We're always fair. Um, the, the, at the end of the day, all of that omnibus stuff never really happened, right? I mean, most of, they passed a budget. They did clean Missouri, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, there were a, co a couple of other measures that came up that passed. But by and large, not much was accomplished in that last two weeks other than clean Missouri and maybe the budget. There were not a lot of um, big ticket items that were touted at the beginning of session that were passed. That is true. And a lot of those omnibus bills that in which they loaded up amendments, the House was stripping back those amendments right. last right. week, um, trying uh, to pass the underlying bills because the Senate, um, which is uh, the body that takes more time to pass bills, wouldn't take up those bills if they were so big. Right. And they were some senators were mad at the House for putting things in that they didn't anticipate. Let me ask you quickly before we take a break. They did do clean Missouri, which we'll talk about, as I said. And also they did make some changes in absentee voting, at least for this year in the mm -hmm. last day. Uh, let's take clean Missouri first. They put the measure on the ballot. We still don't know uh, when it'll go on the ballot. But the idea is to repeal the 2018 clean Missouri reforms, that turned out to be pretty contentious, and yet it sailed through pretty good. It was one of the number one priorities of the Republican supermajority. So the idea that there was any meaningful resistance uh, among 
legislature, among the legislators to get that passed. With a supermajority, the Republicans can do pretty much uh, whatever they need to, to be done. And they wanted to do this. And they wanted to do this. Um, they believe that the 2018 uh, redistricting changes were voted by, voted through by Missourians that didn't really understand the measure. Um, and they also think that it's just um, a democratic play for seats. There, there's also been argument um, from the Republican side that the ethics reforms, you know, the, the gifts uh, limit is sort of frippery. It was just sort of window dressing. Uh, that, that's an argument that I've heard uh, multiple times. Yes, um, they they believe that in 2018, when voters were uh, deciding on these measures, what really attracted the voters were the ethics reforms like um making it only so that lobbyists can give $5 um, in gifts and um, lowering contribution limits. So that was the Republican argument, the, the Democrat argument for continuing clean Missouri reforms is that, you know, voters know what they voted for, this is what they want, and uh, Republicans are trying to repeal it or take it back before um, before the administration can put in a nonpartisan state demographer and give it a go and draw yeah. the districts. And let's also point out that voters approved that uh, two to one. It was like 63.2%, something like that. I mean, this, this was an overwhelmingly uh, passed uh, thing at the, at the ballot box. And, and we still don't know, Crystal, when it'll go on the ballot, right? That's up to the governor. That is up to the governor. So even though lawmakers passed the resolution, the governor doesn't have to sign off on it. All he does is decide whether it's going to go on the August ballot or the November ballot. And um, there has already been a challenge to the ballot language. On Monday, uh, a group of Clean Missouri proponents sued in circuit court saying that the summary language that all the voters would be reading about what they're voting on was they believe is dishonest and wanted different ballot language. So definitely we're done with the, the time of legislation and we're now moving on to the time. To of the campaign. All right, great. Let's take, <laughs> let's take a break here real quick. When we come back, I do want to talk about absentee voting and some of the stuff they did at the very end. And then the governor as well. Uh, you're on deep background. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Back on Deep Background, Dave Helling with the STARS editorial board, Derek Donovan with the editorial board, and Crystal Thomas, reporter extraordinaire in the Jefferson City Bureau for the Kansas City Star. Um, 
before we move on to the governor, Crystal, just briefly, they did do some things on absentee balloting in the last day that we assume the governor will sign. We don't know that for sure yet. But in essence, they sort of expanded the ability to cast absentee ballots for 2020 only, the legislature did, with some caveats, right? Uh, Correct. So it is an expansion of absentee ballot voting. And it's also creating a whole new mail-in ballot system just for uh, 2020. So uh, the end result, I'll tell you about the end result, was that if you are um, confined in your home because you are an actual COVID patient or if you're in in an at-risk category, so if you're older than 65 and you're immunocompromised or you have like a litany of uh, diseases that are discussed in the legislation, then you can request an absentee ballot and uh, vote with that absentee ballot and just send it back to your election authority. You don't need to get it notarized. However, if you are not within those uh, categories that I just mentioned, you can still request a mail-in ballot, but you need to get it notarized. So that means you would put in a request by mail to your election authority. The election authority would send you the envelope and the ballot. You would find a notary and either meet in person or um, use one of the uh, notaries that are registered with the Secretary of State to do notarization online uh, over video chat and vote and then send it back to the election authority. And that is... Uh, that was a compromise that was uh, created on the last day of the session. A very convoluted compromise, I must say. And that will be an issue uh, going forward. But let's not, uh, we'll come back to that in a future podcast. Talk to me about Governor Parsons' performance over the last two months. Has he been leading uh, the legislative discussion? Is there pushback against his use of uh, powers uh, executive powers, uh, the, like we've seen in Kansas, for example, uh, Crystal, where legislators and the governor are at odds, obviously some partisan politics involved there, but just trying to get a sense of what the judgment is in Jeff City about Mike Parsons' performance and what impact, if any, it'll have on the fall election. So I would say that the governor has been uh, wholly focused on the pandemic. He's been Um, holding press conferences every single day, uh, almost every single day, about um, the effect to the state and things that state agencies are doing. And when it comes to uh, the legislative session, he's been mostly hands-off, saying that, you know, legislators will uh, pass whatever laws they can in the last two weeks, but that doesn't necessarily mean he'll sign all of the bills. He did say that, um, you know, at least this session, they'll be not signing as many bills as you would think in normal times. Uh, and that he's going to vet these, if, if any omnibus bills come through, he's going to vet them with a legal team. Um, right. So it, it definitely is, the pandemic has affected, you know, the way the governor is going about his job. Um, There hasn't been pushback uh, to 
what the governor has been doing in the way that you see in, you know, Kansas or, you know, on, on the extreme in Michigan. Right. Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, right. Ohio. There's there's no armed protesters coming to uh, Jeff City to, to shut down the lit session or anything like that. We did get a little bit of a protest about, oh, maybe a month ago, but it didn't seem like it was that aggressive or that that uh, disruptive. No, it it wasn't that disruptive. And you have to keep in mind that uh, the statewide um, stay-at-home order in Missouri is vastly different from the stay-at-home orders in all the other states because it doesn't actually require businesses to close. It mostly puts capacity limits on businesses and it requires people to social distance. Right. Plus, um, he also allowed the cities to make their own tougher rules if they wanted to, which took a little bit of the pressure off because you don't have the limits in rural areas that you do say in Kansas City or St. Louis. And so there's, you know, that's sort of a, a, a pressure relief valve, if you will. Yeah. St. Louis, Kansas City came out first with their own um, uh, stay-at-home orders, and there was a lot of pressure on the governor to um, do a statewide stay-at-home order. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure we've talked about this a lot, but uh, at the time, you know, doctors, hospitals, uh, there was a lot of the fear and that if there was no statewide um, stay-at-home order that our cases would surge. Um, Parson did issue a statewide order. It is not as stringent as other states and therefore I think has mitigated some of that pushback. Yeah. He also lifted the statewide order as well um, a lot er- earlier than other states. So that has also mitigated the pushback. Hey, Crystal, yeah. I'm just curious. Um, I'm not asking you for a head count or anything, but what percentage of lawmakers were wearing masks on the floor? <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't realize that masks were a partisan issue until I got to <laughs> the Capitol uh, because there, there were a couple of Republicans that were wearing masks, but the vast majority, if they were wearing a mask, it was a Democrat. And by I say the vast majority, I would say uh, way fewer than I thought would wear a mask were wearing a mask, especially because they were sitting so close to each other in the House. Governor chamber. Parson wore a mask when he visited Clay Como um, last week. Well, Crystal, let's wrap up our discussion here to talk a little bit about what's going to happen now. I mean, do we expect a special session? Do we, you know, if there's a resurgence of cases, obviously this isn't the end of the story, I guess is the best way to put it. No, and there's a lot of uncertainty right now about the state revenues. Um, The uh, tax filing deadline was extended to July 15th, so... We don't know the final picture about what the state revenues are going to look like until then. And so the governor has said that he's going to possibly make cuts and announce those cuts within the next week or 10 days. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. And then, you know, when it comes to what the pandemic will look like, the statewide stay-at-home order has lifted. The cities are slowly lifting their orders as well. So that could completely change the calculus. And then um, 
there has been thoughts that the governor might call the legislature back in um, in three to four weeks. The fiscal year starts June 1st, so if there's any changes to the budget and the, the governor wants lawmakers to weigh in, that would be the time to call them in. They could also pass legislation that would um, uh, put sales tax on uh, online purchases, but uh, mayors have called for that, but it's it's all really uncertain right now. And, an election year. and the other thing to keep in mind is, unlike a regular session, right, Crystal, mm -hmm. the governor's call for a special session would be limited in subject matter, so they couldn't go down and do a hundred other things if they wanted to. No, and and the the governor did you know a good example of this is last year the governor did call a special session for a very very narrow issue which was you know used car sales taxes and so you know the governor did that last year and if he were to call in a session this year um, I would expect the call to be very narrow again. Right. Great. Well, it's been quite a quite a spring down in Jefferson City, no question about that, and a fascinating session, and the story hasn't ended yet, and Crystal Thomas, of course, will be on it. So, Crystal, we thank you so much for joining us, and we'll have you on again. We've got to talk about Medicaid expansion and clean Missouri on the ballot and the governor's race. I mean, it, Missouri yeah, politics. It's 2020. Yeah, that's exactly right. Again, Crystal Thomas of the Stars Jefferson City Bureau. Thanks so much for joining us. Derek, as always, thanks for being along for the podcast. And uh, next week, we're going to try and talk a little bit about what's going on on the Kansas side. Their uh, legislature meets for one day this week, and then we'll try and wrap it up next. So uh, thanks for joining us, both of you and all of you as well. My name is Dave Helling. You've been on Deep Background.